The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks analytics are something you treat along with fleas. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I'm very pro analytics. Uh, and so is my guest today, the one, the only, Field Yates. Field, feel like it's been a while. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. I feel like the last time we talked, we were covering a lot different ground than what we're going to cover today, uh, which excites me. It is the NFL offseason officially now, and we have a ton taking place uh, in the world that I live in now, a lot taking place over the next nine or so weeks prior to the NFL draft. It is the official start to draft season the week before the Combine I'll be at the NFL Combine. Um, And and for me, the kickoff of my coverage of these prospects, but not just the prospects, the storylines around the prospects, the teams picking at the top of the draft uh, who may be movers and shakers in the trade market, the movement of quarterbacks, all of that. So I'm going to deep dive into every single one of the things I just said. And you're going to be a big part of that. And also, uh, folks should check out Field's excellent show, which is also uh, now on ESPN2 as well, First Draft, uh, and his draft coverage in general. But I, I wanted, since this is our first crack at the draft, I wanted to kind of take a step step back and talk about sort of the big questions that will define this draft season. So we're going to do deep dives into the players and the teams and on the different position groups and the combine and all of that. But this is kind of us taking a step back and thinking between now and the end of April, what are going to be the biggest topics of conversation ahead of the draft? Oh, where do we start is the question. Do we start number one? I mean, that seems like the most natural and obvious starting point because the bears have themselves a dilemma The Bears right now, of course, own pick number one. They also still have Justin Fields under contract for at least this season with the fifth-year team option. They can exercise anytime between now and around May, I think it's May 3rd this year, maybe May 4th, early May. If the Bears did not have the uh, the first overall pick in the draft and they only had pick nine, Mina, I might be advocating for the Bears to simply build this roster further around Justin Fields and use that pick number nine on – Either an offensive playmaker if one slides to the cracks or supplement their defense a little bit more. Uh, But because they have this number one pick, which is sort of a bonus pick via the trade from Carolina last year, you're saying to yourself, Justin has had his moments. We're also three years into Justin's career. Typically when the answer is not clear and definitive as it pertains to whether the quarterback is the guy after three seasons, it kind of means he's not the guy. So they have found themselves in a little bit of a precarious spot, but one that I do think has a ton of upside for their future and the stability of this roster going forward. And if I were Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager, right now I am working hard to create as much leverage Mm. to get others to ante up for Justin Fields and at least building the idea, at least given the, uh, the signals that I am planning on taking a quarterback number one, and let's see what it's gonna take to get Justin out of my hands. Yeah, and there's so many directions you can go in with this number one pick, and there's so many questions that arise from it. You, I think, kind of uh, captured the first one, which is what will the Bears do? Like, will will they trade Justin Fields? I'm starting from the position that I think they're going to do it. I would be at this point kind of surprised if that doesn't happen for all the reasons you outlined. Um, But, you know, especially the the, the ability to reset your clock contractually – 
um, you know, we're coming off a Super Bowl where one of the quarterbacks is the best quarterback in the league, the other is on a rookie contract, and then the 49ers, of course, derive great advantage from that. The fact that Brock yes. Purdy, their quarterback, they don't have to pay him. He's the cheapest quarterback in the NFL, right? Starting quarterback. So I think for Chicago, that will, you know, it's the number one overpick, so he they actually will pay their quarterback quite a bit more than Brock Purdy because of the rookie wage scale. But still, so many advantages come with that. The precedent of quarterbacks also um, who are in Justin Fields' position and have recovered from rough starts off some of that, a lot of that due to no fault of his own and gone on to have success, there's just not a lot of it. So, And that's not to say that I don't think Justin Fields can do that, but for Chicago, there's just so many reasons for them to take a quarterback, uh, one of which is the quarterbacks available. That's going to be question number two, but let's live in the Justin Fields space before we get to the quarterbacks because I think that's probably going to consume the bulk of grass season over the night. Oh, we're talk, we're, yes. <laughs> which quarterback should it be? What quarter should the quarterbacks go? Okay, but first I want to I want to talk about Justin Fields. Um, the question that I pose to you isn't whether the Bears should trade him or will they. It's who's going to trade for him because mm. that I think is very much up in the air and very fascinating. Uh, so before we get to the teams, you have you have a really good handle always on the actual market for players in the NFL. Uh, and I think that's where we kind of have to start with this, which is not who's going to trade, but what it would take to get Justin Fields. Because the precedent for this, for a first-round pick changing hands at this point yeah. in career, it's there's not a lot of examples out there. You're looking at... Um, the Sam Darnold trade from New York to Carolina, which w I believe was for a second, right? And a fourth, yep. And a fourth. Yeah. Let's start. Do you think that Fields would command that much or more or less? That's the right neighborhood, Mina. A first-round pick to me would be a huge surprise. The yeah. only circumstances in which I think the Bears could reasonably fetch a first-round pick for Justin Fields is if the market for Justin Fields is four or five teams deep and if we get through free agency and Justin Fields is still on the Bears roster, and those four or five teams are teams that have struck out on other options, right? So whether it's teams that have their eyes on a Kirk Cousins or a Baker Mayfield, which are kind of the only two free agent to be quarterbacks that we feel like might be like surefire starters going into next season. And by the way, Kirk Cousins is coming off of an Achilles tear, so it's not like um, his path back to the field is as simple as just returning to play. Uh, so there are going to be teams that are going to be sitting there saying to themselves, okay, we need an upgraded quarterback. The only two kind of obvious upgrades in free agency are not on our roster now, and we're not picking in the first three picks. What do we do? And But I think the more likely target for the Bears is something that includes a second-round pick, and maybe you're able to drive competition to make that a second-round pick plus something else because you have multiple teams in the race. And if the richest second round pick that you can get is hypothetically around 40 or 42, and you have teams that mm. currently own pick 50, then 50 is not going to get the job done if 40 or 42 is on the table. So it might be 50 plus something else. And that might be that fourth round pick that we were talking about in the Sam Darnold trade. So I think that's a reasonable offer that if the Bears can get it, they should seriously consider taking. I think the idea of waiting around for a first round pick is probably going to look more like chasing a ghost for Ryan Poles than an actual outcome. It, it, Sam Darnold being the comp makes sense, but it should also be stated, Justin Fields has shown a lot more than Sam Darnold did. Yeah. Uh, in, and, and again, 
circumstances also, in the same way that circumstances affected Justin Fields, Sam Darnold's circumstances weren't great either in New York. Uh, and, you know, that's certainly as we, as we embark upon this draft season and think about the quarterbacks, it's something to consider when we think about how much success they'll have in the NFL. And um, I think you but, and I might have yeah. agreed me at the time that it was kind of a foolish move by Carolina to pay that much for Sam Darnold. Oh, yeah. Right? I was They also surprised. picked up the fifth-year option concurrently. Yeah. And I, I'm not here to like rail on former general managers, but there was a series of sort of questionable quarterback decisions made by the administration yeah. in Carolina. It included Sam Darnold being traded for Cam Newton. Remember they signed Cam Newton after he had been released by the Patriots and gave him $6 million dollars. Okay. Wow fully guaranteed. Uh, beyond that, there was the eventual trade for Baker Mayfield. Like they kind of just kept swinging and kept missing. So uh, while it's important to use that as a data point, it also is important to say that like, if a team does this, it's not a guarantee to be smart business. That's true. I, I will say this though. I was not, uh, I did not think, I, I was pretty skeptical of that move. The teams we're about to talk about, I would like for them to trade for Justin Fields for, for this much, like for yeah. a second or, or lower, but not, a first, no, but a second, I think it's, 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 you're, you're navigating such as in line because on, on one hand, I think that the bears are right to move on. On the other hand, I also think that his career is not over just because, you know, that, like I said, there's not a lot of a track record of quarterbacks who have gone on the same arc as him and improved. And I also think the teams were mentioned. I don't think many of them have better options with more upside nope. than trading for Justin Field. Um, so the, who those teams are, and let, let's just go, you know, it, it, this coral quarterback, this offseason, it, it, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and it feels a little bit like musical chairs. Yep. And I think you mentioned one of the quarterbacks who will probably, who I think pretty universally will be seen as the most desirable option, that's Kirk Cousins, although he comes yep. with a big contract. It seems plausible he'll return to Minnesota, but I wouldn't, it's, you know, some, He's a free agent, so you yep. don't know. No tag um, available for him, yep. So you're looking at Kirk Cousins, you're looking at Baker Mayfield, you're looking at a trade for Russell Wilson being another option, which um, for the acquiring I don't think that team, will be a trade. That would either – well, the only way that he gets traded would be if the Broncos agree to eat a significant portion of his salary. Now that yeah. it's pretty well stated or at least assumed that he could very well be cut, I don't think any team is going to say to the Broncos – Hey, we'll take them off your hands and we'll pay 20 of the $45 million. It might be more like Denver eating 35 out of the 45 million bucks to trade away Russell Wilson. It's the worst contract in football right now. It's a bad contract. And I would rather have Justin Fields, to be honest. Same. I just would. I think there's yeah. more upside there at this point, um, setting aside the money aspect of it. Uh, and then you got like, you know, Ryan Tannehill is going to be free agent or whatever, but, but uh, Jacoby Brissett, who I'm constantly advocating for, but yeah. uh, it's, there's too many teams that need quarterbacks and there aren't enough quarterbacks. Someone's going to trade for Justin Fields. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, there's also the draft, which we are going to get to momentarily where you've got three quarterbacks very likely to go early on. And then an assortment of quarterbacks who may sneak into the first round. And one of the teams we're about to talk about might decide that they want one of those quarterbacks, which we will get to. Okay. Putting a pin in that. So I I think that one of the teams I'm about to mention should trade for Justin Fields. I would do it if I was a fan. I would be excited about it and intrigued by it. To me, I would say those teams are the Falcons. Okay, we're one for one. The Steelers. Two for two. Okay, so I don't think this is going to ha happen, but this is, this is the pivot. I see this as the pivot point in the draft. Okay, yep. The New England Patriots. 
Okay. This is, um, I know, this is, a, yeah. I could, because, and uh, this is one of my questions. We're, I might as well just, we're just skip bouncing around because it's all interrelated. interrelated. Yeah. The Patriots could either take a quarterback or they could take Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. I don't know what direction they'll go in, but if they go Marvin Harrison Jr., then I would love for them to trade for Justin Fields. That's my Fair. idea. Yeah, so here's actually the path that I would take if I'm the Patriots and I am planning to trade for Justin Fields, understanding that the cost might be as rich as pick 35, 36, whichever their second round pick right, is. that's there at the top. Or, yeah, which um, that, that's, a, that, that's a fairly significant cost, even though we just discussed how like the parameters of a yeah. second round pick are reasonable. Uh, but you know, the closer you are to 32, the more it's viewed as basically a first round pick. If that's the path that I'm going down, Mina, then my intentions at pick three are to move back and find a trade partner for the team that views whoever quarterback three, whoever the remaining yeah. quarterback on the Good board point. is as my target and say, all right, I'm, I'm turning three into, again, making this up here, eight plus 41 plus yeah. futures first or something like that. Um, that would be the only way that I would justify that if I were the Patriots. I'm of the view, and not to give away like how I feel for the next two and a half months, but based off right now, I'm of the view that the first three quarterbacks on the draft are capable enough that no matter what happens to pick one and pick two, the Patriots, bereft of a quarterback option right now on the roster and needing to plug so many gaps elsewhere that even if you just added like Marvin Harrison Jr. or Roma Dunes and Malik Neighbors, like they're still so far away that the advantage you're gathering uh, from having one of those players is sort of neutralized that I would just take whoever quarterback three is. Just have a plan for each of those three quarterbacks. I think Caleb Williams is probably gone. I'd have a plan and build my plan around that quarterback once I find out who it is. You and I both know, though, there's very few things in life that football teams like more than certainty. So if there is a certainty that you can acquire Justin Fields for something that's not the third overall pick in the draft, maybe the team would explore it. I would be an advocate against such a maneuver, but... The Patriots may also have a different evaluation of quarterbacks two and three than I do and say to themselves, well, if we're not guaranteed our guy or one of our two guys, then we might pivot. That's the the calculus you have to make. You have to do there yeah. is it really comes down to how you value the three quarterbacks. It, we're it, we're talking about it a second. And I also think just how you value evaluate um, Marvin Harris Jr. is yeah. is is really big. We're talking about the wide receivers. You know, he is pretty widely viewed as one of the best wide receiver prospects of all time. However, this is an incredibly stacked wide receiver draft. Your team has this like haunted history of being able to draft wide receivers. So maybe your thought is, okay, yeah, we're going to pass on the quarterback. We're going to pass on um, Marvin Harrison Jr., but we're going to acquire draft capital and we're still going to get a really good quarterback to pair with maybe Justin Fields. I don't know, but the Patriots, don't don't you think that's like the most interesting right there at three like that's because I think we all believe one and two will be quarterbacks the order of the quarterbacks is going to be hotly debated yeah. I don't know at this point what the Patriots will do at three I don't and I don't want to say this I don't know what I think they should do because I haven't really done uh enough eval of the quarterbacks to have like a strong feeling about what direction that they should go in like I don't know if I believe QB3 is as sure of a thing as QBs one and two in this draft. No two ways about that. And by the way, that's not a, at least in my opinion, that's not a Patriot specific assessment. It's just the idea that the further away from one you are, the further down the total pole you're getting in your rankings. And, you know, quarterbacks are unique in the sense that, you know, if I'm, if I'm evaluating wide receivers, well, I certainly have wide receiver one, two, three, four, five, like my love for five 
is still enough love that I would say to myself, I feel great about this guy being on my roster. Whereas for quarterbacks, the cliff might fall hard. Like it might be fast. Like it might be that you feel great about quarterback one and everybody else to you is below the proverbial Mendoza line of quarterbacks. Quarterback one and two might be good enough for you, but quarterback three might be the point where you feel like, yeah, it's a big step backwards. Or maybe, and if, if you know the Patriots feel that the quarterback three, regardless of who it is, is totally fine, then they're sitting pretty. Then the value of having that top three pick cannot be overstated. Um, but it is where things get extremely interesting. Uh, you know, if 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 they don't have a high standard, if they don't believe uh, enough right. in whoever quarterback three well, is. And, but, and then it's also entirely dependent on how the other two, the first two teams feel about the quarterbacks. Like maybe New England, mm -hmm. they think Drake May is quarterback one. And right. oh, great. It just happens to turn out that the uh, – the, the Bears and the Commanders like uh, the Caleb Williams and Jane Daniels more. So maybe they're just sitting pretty, but, th yes. but they don't know. No one knows right now. Like everybody's so much is in the air. Um, okay. But I think well, the go. Patriots need to adopt, just to quickly put a pin in this point, Mina, they need to adopt a mentality that the 49ers and the Jets have had in recent years. And this might create a little bit of a negative reaction because the outcomes were bad, but the process is important here. The Jets in 2018 traded up from six to three with the Colts. We didn't know who quarterback one was going to be until the day of. Shefty broke yeah. the news that Baker Mayfield was going one the morning of the draft. People didn't realize Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, whoever it might be. The Jets said, we'll take, we'll take who's there, right? Saquon Barkley was in that draft as well. He ends up going two. The 49ers in 2012 end up moving, sorry, 2021 end up moving up from 12 to three. We know that the initial reporting was they had their eyes on Mac Jones. They end up pivoting to Trey Lance. Like, you just have to develop like a certainty that whoever the third one is, as long as you're cool with that player, yeah, that's good enough. As long as you are in position with you or you are within reach. So if I'm the Patriots, I'm adopting that mindset. And I get it, Trey Lance and Sam Darnold did not work out for their respective teams. But the freight that you would pay to move from three to two is so significant. And the uncertainty or the dangers of moving out of quarterback range and being left with yet another year of quarterback instability is detrimental for a team that won four games last season. I remember um, Baker Mayfield telling me he thought he was going to be a Patriot that morning of yeah. that draft before, you know, the, yeah, he, he thought they were in New England. Yeah. come up and get him. Um Okay, but before we get to the quarterbacks, let's go back to Fields for a second. So the Patriots is kind of the wildest one, but you were nodding when I said the Falcons and the Steelers. Those are the two teams that I've been hearing the most. I think yeah. they're the teams that, I mean, you could throw in the Raiders, the Vikings, if Kirk leaves. There's other teams yeah. that need quarterbacks, but those are two teams that I think we all know need quarterbacks. The rosters are good. Uh, you, you might view them as being the quarterback away and that don't have a clear path to one in the draft of the Falcons and the Steelers. Is there a place where you would, we're not trying to predict what will happen. Is there a place where you would like to see fields more from just a football perspective? Yeah, Pittsburgh. And I know the people are like, wait, you want to put a talented player with Arthur Smith after what he has done over the past three years with Bijan and Kyle Pitts and, and Drake yes. London. So this is, that's not what I'm trying to do here, but um, if I'm Pittsburgh and this is going to be like an incredibly like simple minded way of thinking about it, um, the Steelers haven't had a quarterback that strained a defense mm. for years, right? Like Ben Roethlisberger at the tail end of his career certainly could like, you know, he had his moments, he had his big games, you know, like certainly he was uh, on occasion excellent, but uh, it's been probably half a decade since they had consistent, scary quarterback play. Kenny Pickett, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm two years in, I get it. Normally not enough of a sample size to fully evaluate a player. I just don't think the ceiling is anywhere near high enough in Pittsburgh right now for a roster that is imperfect to be sure. But, you know, there are some pieces in place, including, you know, a defense that usually holds up its end of the bargain. And somehow, some way, they always end up above, above 500 with Mike Tomlin as their head coach. But in a division that features Lamar Jackson, the two-time MVP now, uh, Joe Burrow, who has, you know, MVP upside himself, and then Deshaun Watson, who's obviously a wild card, but at his apex has been one of the best players in the entire NFL. You can't be the team that is so far behind for a singular reason of your quarterback kind of just being average. Justin is certainly an up and down player, but the best version of Justin Fields has been incredibly difficult to defend, and he would at least make Pittsburgh multidimensional, right? You have to defend Justin, not just as a thrower, but as one of the greatest running quarterbacks ever, Ever, probably the second best in the NFL right now behind Lamar. So that to me would be the most obvious and to me the most uh, exciting fit for Justin if he were traded, which you and I agree is probably the most likely outcome. We are two years removed from Arthur Smith with Marcus Mariota calling one of the best rushing attacks in football. Of course he can do it with Justin Fields, who is a much more dynamic rushing threat and a better, I think, better quarterback as well. Um, So just what alone, what that would do for the run game, which is already very good in Pittsburgh. Like in the second half of the season, I, 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 I... I really feel like they found their identity as a run, you know, a running, a rushing team, putting two or three tight ends on the field. Yeah. But what you'd want to elevate that is a quarterback who can also um, take shot plays off of play action, which is what right. Arthur Smith is kind of famous for doing in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. I oh, really by the way, like they have George Pickens. Yeah. Oh, by the way, they have a great group of wide receivers. Yeah. I, I, I would love that pairing. It's actually I wanted. The Falcons to acquire Justin Fields. In, for a lot of those reasons. For the same reasons. Because I was like, this makes perfect sense. I, I think if they had him, I don't, you know, where what whether he would continue developing as a passer remains to be seen. But I'll tell you this, that that offense will be able to run the ball. Run yeah. the ball real well. I mean, so think about yeah, think about how incongruent the Steelers offensive attack is right now. You've got an extremely conservative quarterback in Kenny Pickett who rarely stresses the foot who rarely stresses the defense yeah. down the field. And you've got this duo of running backs and the use of first round pick on Najee Harris, who like part of the idea for for drafting Najee is that can handle, you know, 20, 25 carries in a game if you need him to. But also if you're facing stacked boxes, like he's powerful enough and has enough wiggle between the tackles that he can actually make defenders miss. And instead you have a quarterback. They're basically just like the defense are saying, fine, if you want to grind us to a nub by going three yards in a cloud of dust with Najee Harris, that's fine. Justin immediately changes the dimensions of running lanes. He actually makes the defense have to defend the field vertically and horizontally because he is a runner and a very gifted vertical uh, passer as well. Um, It's time for Pittsburgh to put a jolt into this offense. Mike Tomlin has the immense respect of both you and I and pretty much everybody who follows football, Mina. But they're starting to get restless right now. I mean, five straight playoff losses in Pittsburgh. Mike Tomlin says all the time, the standard is the standard. Uh, They have not really met the standard when it's mattered the most in Pittsburgh of late. I would would enjoy watching that offense. So I I like that idea a lot. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, So the the other before we the other question I kind of skipped over, got like addressed. I mean, everything is so interrelated in draft season. Like where's Justin Fields end? What do the Patriots do? What do the, what does Kirk Cousins land? Whatever. But ultimately um, I think the biggest question, the one that we're going to all debate the most between now and then is what order do these quarterbacks go in? 
Uh, so, Field, you spend all your time watching, thinking, ranking, mock drafting these guys. I am still early in this process. I watched all of them as college, just on you know uh, the broadcasts, um, only now beginning to dig into the tape. But he- my early read on it is this, and this is what I want to run by you, with Caleb Williams, uh, Jaden Daniels, Drake May who I've seen in every possible order at this point. Although, you know, we kind of started the season, Caleb Williams, number one, no matter what, a little bit of shakiness now. We'll see where a lot can happen between now and then. My feeling watching them is this. It's, I think it's really going to come down to the flavor that each team wants. Because I don't watch them and think, oh my God, he's so much better than him. He's so obviously the clear-cut number one. They're very different stylistically. Yeah. All, all three of them are playmakers, and I think yeah. that's partially why we like all of them. That's why the teams will like all of them, because that's you see that across the NFL now. Like Playmaking uh-huh. quarterbacks is a big thing. And by playmaking, I don't just mean like a dual threat with like design runs. I mean scrambling, keeping right spot on field, making plays on the run, creating something out of nothing. All three of these guys do that. So anyone who says any of them is not that is is wrong, but I don't have a I don't think there's a clear order, mm-hmm. and I think it's just going to come down to what do these teams like? What kind of preferences do they have? You are probably on the short list, if not the clear cut favorite, to be the most versatile person at all of ESPN, <laughs> Mina. But I finally found a job that would not be for you. That's full time NFL draft analyst because that was way too logical and cold takey of an opinion on those three quarterbacks. You have to come out. All fired up. Yes, exactly. And you have to say that this guy's clearly one and this guy's two and this guy might be a bust even though they're clearly the top three. I will say that. I think there's definitely a big jump to the next category, which we have two tiers of three quarterbacks that make up the top six. To me, that is, uh, I don't know about indisputable because there's still time left in the process, but pretty close to it. So I view them this way. Caleb Williams, I thought has been the best player on tape the past two seasons. He has a YouTube highlight within every single game that you can make up just of, of like the 15 best plays from every single game, his ability to create, his ability to throw on the run, his ability to throw from the pocket. He's an interesting pocket navigator. Um, he definitely 100% fell victim to trying to get it all back too often this year when USC was a bad football team. They were not nearly as top heavy in terms of talent. They were right. once again awful on defense. They made a coordinator change this offseason that was much publicized and noted in the college football world. And I think, Mina, this is going to sound ridiculous. I think USC became an unlikable program to the average fan. I think Lincoln Riley has done the opposite of like engender goodwill in the world of college football with some of his behavior and decorum, not making players available after games. That There kind of was a villain side to USC that I think has Mm. taken a tiny bit of the bloom off the rose of Caleb Williams. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I thought the film was really freaking good this year. There were a few down moments, but when you have a season in 2022 that was one of the greatest ever in college football, believe it or not, like oftentimes the only place to go is down. So I think Caleb was one. I feel comfortable about that. I think the debate becomes interesting at number two. I thought Jaden Daniels was the best player in college football this past season, you know, I think I texted you. I don't know when it was. It was early in the fall. You, you were, were excited. You were yeah. locked in on 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 NFL, understandably. And it was kind of like I, I think I have to like uh, run like you know thoughts, uh, big opinions by people that I trust the most. So I'm like, you got to watch this Jaden Daniels kid. And so we've been kind of going back and forth. And it's like every time I watch him, Mina, it just gets sillier. It just gets more ridiculous. Uh, throw for 40 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's been good about protecting the football each of the past two seasons at LSU. 
averaged more yards per carry than any player in college football last year. I use the filter of 100 rushes. I'm sorry if there's some guy that averaged like 15 yards a carry on 39 <laughs> rushes. My apologies to you, but you have to cut it off somewhere. Uh, and Mina, what's so tantalizing about Jaden Daniels is that when you have the athletic ability that he does, the balance between knowing when to run versus knowing when to hold an extra beat in the pocket, find some time, find some space, and throw the football down the field, that's a skill. And I thought that Jaden kind of navigated that pretty darn well. And he was at his best in big moments. I've talked about that a ton. I think it's an important thing to say about him. So to me, right now, if I were pressed into having to rank these guys one, two, three, Caleb one, Jaden Daniels two, and three, Drake May, I feel like he's become the forgotten man in this process, Mina. A lot of momentum trending for Jaden Daniels, who's awesome, as you guys just heard from me. Drake is, I say this, he was built at quarterback factory. He's six foot four. He's 230 pounds. With time and space in the pocket, he throws absolute lasers, especially down the middle of the field, manipulates safeties incredibly well with his eyes and his shoulders, like plays this game uh, from the neck up that is hard to replicate. Uh, this was a down season for him, like it was for Caleb relative to the 2022 year. Uh, he was unbelievable in 2022, Drake May was. He won like four of the available major awards in the ACC. He was the only freshman to do so other than Jameis Winston, to give you some perspective on how great he was. So yes, there was a downtick this season. He had some layups that he was missing, but North Carolina's supporting cast uh, was like left a lot to be desired. Yeah. Uh, so Drake had some people feeling a little bit cold after this season, Mina, but in a vacuum, if you told me, can you build a great offense around Drake May or Jaden Daniels or Caleb Williams for 10 seasons? I would say unequivocally, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think... There's just so much to like with all of these guys. The playmaking, all, all of them have good arms too. Um, I think Drake might go to the combine and crush it, and in the, in the, in not just in the physical stuff, but like his throwing workout is going to be beautiful. Like I love watching him throw too. His yeah, it's, mechanics, it's, it's, it's idyllic. Yeah, CJ. Think, it's so hard because CJ was so great last year, even though he was probably underappreciated in the pre-draft process. But Drake is going to have. You know, I was going to say maybe the best throwing workout since last year, but you get my point. One of the no, best right, throwing I, I, workouts I, 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 in quite yeah. some time. Yeah, I, I think as far as like the for the first two teams, and then whether the New England Patriots go quarterback or someone else trades up there to do so, or some, if the Patriots actually take Marcus Harrison, you then looking at teams like the Giants having an opportunity to take quarterback. I think it it, it does seem very likely that the, these three guys will all go top four or five. Um, I think three. I think I'll one, two, three. Yeah, because I really do a trade for New England if they don't want to take one. Um, I think when I when I was saying like earlier about kind of like the flavors, um, the next two months it's going to be a lot of like picking picking at them, right? Because they're they're great. We I think we agree they're all really amazing prospects, and I think I can point to the questions already at this point that each team will have to ask. With Williams, it's can we get this guy to play on time? Because he just abjectly does not play on time. And, and it's interesting to feel because like when he does throw on time, it looks good. So it's not it's like, awesome. yeah. yeah, he's like, boom, boom. Like he's got, he's like accurate. The ball comes out quick. He can throw off of any platform, whatever, but he just doesn't do it. So it's, yep. that's just the question. Can we get him to play on time? Um, with Daniels, um, I, I think the size is a little bit of a concern because he's on this, he's slender. And yep. then, you know, he's playing with an all-star team. We're going to talk about the wide receivers. Holy smokes, these wide receivers are sick. 
So it's ridiculous. Uh, Maybe my Penix favorite well. player in the draft is yeah. We'll talk about him in a moment. Yep. Holy smokes, those LSU yeah. wide receivers are freaking awesome, and he'll get. Yeah, people think I'm on the LSU payroll right now, which is fine. Bro. If I have to be accused of being on the LSU payroll for having a man crush on their quarterback and one of their top two wide receivers, I I'll be content with both, that assertion. Both those wide receivers are so yeah, sick. So yeah. he'll get dinged for that. He will. So will Penix. Obviously, he'll get too. And then um, with May, I think uh, this season there were halves where he, like his accuracy would drop off a little bit yeah. in decision-making. Right. Um, layups, a, way too many missed layups. Yep. There's a little bit of Josh Allen in the game sometimes too, for better or worse, you know? Uh, really? So I think that'll be the question mark with him, which is, okay, well, what happened in some of these games with, you know, like the decisions and whatnot. So I don't know how it all plays out. Um, I... At this point, I'll just play my flag. I agree with you. I have Williams one. I just think he can make every throw on earth. <laughs> and some I didn't know existed prior to so, watching. I mean, that. from yeah. and it, it it is interesting though, because you know, the there were the Mahomes comparisons, and we're going to I think that'll people start kind of walking that back a little bit. But it, it, I actually think it's really instructive coming off of a Super Bowl where a season where Patrick Mahomes had his lowest average depth of target ever and for better, you know, for better, was a game manager. There we go. Including yeah. on the biggest stage. The question that now the Bears have to ask is, can Caleb Williams do the same? If it is, if he is asked to, can he get there? Yeah. Now, there is also like a... a mountain between him and game manager he just needs to play on time forget yeah. being as ruthlessly efficient as Patrick Mahomes was and being brilliant like he literally just needs to play there there were, he would pass up open receivers he watching him on tape this year I'm not on tape probably just watching him I've gotten there he does not he did not play in structure like he, really yeah. it was not good so that's the question that he has to answer uh, I talked about this. Uh, the Notre Dame game is probably the one that people are going to point to as maybe yeah. the lowest point of Caleb Williams' season. And it felt like a player who was down 14 and thought he could score 14 points on one pass to get it all back, right? That's the kind of forcing the issue you saw from him in that specific moment. This is going to be an odd cross-sport parallel, but I think it's pertinent in the case of Caleb Williams. Anthony Edwards coming out of Georgia, 2020 NBA draft. People were kind of all over who should be the number one pick in that draft. But Anthony Edwards was kind of uninspiring for Minnesota in some circles because it was like, this guy was a mess at Georgia, right? Like this inefficient score, yeah. this guy who's like taking ill-advised shots or taking too many shots, whatever it might be, right? But it was a reminder, like we're, we're identifying the traits, the coachable ones, the not coachable traits that like, you, those are the ones that made them precocious, right? Like the six foot five and ball handling and vertical and all this stuff. Like with Caleb, I'm not ignoring the bad stuff from 2023, but I'm saying to myself, most of that's coachable. Most of that, most of yeah. that is easy to get rid of, especially when you got a full team of pros around you. USC, by their own standards, was down this past season. So um, I want to say this, and we're doing this in what, late February. You and I have this conversation. Unless one of these guys, again, something happens that is inexplicable, injury off the field-wise, three best quarterbacks in the class do not let people pick these kids apart and have you convinced – that yeah. there's some sort of consolation prize, which is what happened last year with CJ. Like it became like, oh, the Texans have to settle for CJ Stroud. Instead, they got the greatest rookie quarterback season, yeah. arguably in the history of the league. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think with, with Williams too, like we're in for a pretty stupid season when it comes to like 
ignore the off the field stuff. stuff. Ignore, yeah, right. Just like oh, ignore me. You Listen. cried after game. Here, but here's what's important. For, and uh, if, if I'm an NFL team, like that stuff's dumb. The you know emotion, the person, whatever. No. He's fine. What I want to know is, I want him to. When you're in the room with him and you're playing back a clip, I want him to say, "Yeah, I should have taken the checkdown." Sure, that's yeah, what, yeah, that's yeah. what you want to hear from him. That's what has to be determined off the field. I, I don't. I, this almost feels like it needs doesn't need to be said, but because of the, the the dumb narratives that we find on the internet sometimes, I've asked people that have been in USC scouting there on the West Coast, people at high level uh, high level positions in the NFL, people that are whatever you name it, any scouting title that you can think of. Not one person, not one has said to me, yeah, the character is like really a question mark for me with Caleb Williams. Not one, not one. So uh, there's a process that goes into evaluating every single prospect, but I have not had one person say to me, you know what, if I were the Bears, I'd be scared off because of the kid. Like that hasn't happened yet. And I haven't spoken to everybody in the entire NFL, but I've spoken to enough people, Mina, that I feel really good about the fact that you're getting an amazing player. And a darn good kid as well. I, I, like, I loved that he showed emotion after his game. Do. I was like, oh, God he forbid. really wants to win. That's the, the the only like off the field thing that sometimes bears out. And I and I with when you hear kind of kind of during the draft season, and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have overlooked this so much. Is actually the reverse when you hear, uh, he's not really that invested. And sometimes that ends up happening, and you hear from teams too invested. I'll take too invested every. Every time. hundred percent. Listen, again, another cross-board comparison, but I just saw some clip online of Jason Tatum, who's obviously like this amazing star player, best player in the best team in the NBA right now. He's talking about like, I'm the biggest mother's boy in the world. My mom goes to every single one of my games. My son is right there. He sits next to me during the national anthem. Like if it's a bad thing to care deeply and to show emotion, like sign me up. Fine. Yeah. I'd rather that than some robot who can't play. I'd rather the Agreed. guy that's awesome. God forbid you and I feel that way. All right. Well, we got our top three. Let's take a quick break, come back, and talk about the other quarterbacks. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap. It's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.com. Org. West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7111. Seven, New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. 
Paid for by NHTSA. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, Field, so you and I are in agreement that there is a clear top three with the quarterbacks. I suspect that most people will arrive at that same conclusion. Um, But after that, there are a few quarterbacks that could be taken in the first round, in large part because, as you and I have been discussing, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and Mm -hmm. that is, I think, going to influence uh, where some of these guys are taken. Maybe if there weren't teams that needed quarterbacks, they would fall not the case this year, but also they're interesting prospects. I would argue the second tier this year is better than recent years. Certainly. 100%. Yeah. Last couple of years. Um, so I'm going to name, I, it seems to me like, okay, so the, we mentioned the top three, Caleb Williams, Jane Daniels, Drake may in whichever order. I have not seen a consensus on the order in which the next, th- I, I would say there's three guys who are in that next year. Yes. Uh, and they are, um, Two guys we just saw in the college football uh, national championship, uh, Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. And then I think the third seems to be Bo Nix uh, from Oregon. Am I? Is there anyone else you think, before we get into those three players, that might squeak into this conversation? Nope. I think the seventh quarterback, if you will, will be up for grabs. I would probably say Spencer Rattler's got a fairly sizable lead on the field. Uh, former Oklahoma, now South Carolina quarterback. But we're talking about, you know, QBs four through six and then gap, as I see you chuckling about Spencer, who can still play, by the way. He can still play. every. Yeah. And there were some games during the season where I'd watching him and I'd have to like slap my own wrist and be like, no. Mean yeah, it. No, because he flashes some real high end traits, but then there's some 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 low moments as well. Yeah, um, he to yeah, me is an interesting, an interesting guy to take a flyer on, though, because of the skill set. So so, but the three that I mentioned, tell me what order you have them in, and then how you think the conversation before you know is shaping around them. Because I I guess let me. It seems like most people have McCarthy and um, Penix above Nix. Is that kind of where things are? Um, I would say it's less certain than that. Uh, okay. I think if you did a straw poll of 50 evaluators, you might get 17 JJ guys, 17 Knicks guys, and 16 Penix guys, or whatever the 51, just to make it 17 <laughs> for Penix as well. Um, yeah. So I, I really believe that there is there is a beauty in the eye of the beholder. Mm. Again, I know that people are clamoring for who do you have fourth versus fifth versus sixth, um, but I think this is more of a tier than it is a clear cut. Four, five, six. So I actually have Bo Nix uh, right now as quarterback four. And uh, oh, you Bo, do? Oh, wow. Okay. And, and by the wow. way, we can. So maybe the best way to do this, Mina, is my order is Bo JJ Penix. Um, okay. Here's I can, I can kind of give you like the pros and cons for each, right? Or the I like to call them like strengths and limitations because uh, con feels too strong for a guy who could go in the top like twenty five picks. Like that's very possible, yeah. right? Uh, Bo Nix is. People have to remember um, this is not Bo Nix from Auburn. But he is the most experienced quarterback in the history of Division One football. 
like literally has more starts than any other quarterback ever, right? He's played a ton of football, five straight years as a full-time starter. NFL teams like that. There are guys, Brock Purdy, Jacoby Brissett, who played a ton of football in college. NFL teams like that because they have a different readiness than guys who are a little greener, Trey Lance, Mitch Trubisky, sorry to invoke some bad memories, people, but there's a little bit more certainty in what you're seeing is what you're getting. Razor sharp accuracy. He literally sent the single season completion percentage record last year, nearly 78%. Very good processor as well for Bo Nix. Has some razzle-dazzle to his game, but he's refined that, right? Back at Auburn, it was to his detriment. Now at Oregon, it's to his advantage. They could use him on the move. He could have some design runs. Um, So Bo, really solid prospect. JJ, also really solid. He's the biggest projection out of these guys, though. Yeah. Over the last six games of the season, Mina, six games, which was basically the meat of their schedule, right? You had the Ohio State, Penn State. Obviously, they played Washington in the final after beating Alabama the week before. Uh, they beat Iowa in the conference championship game, which was a game for a half. But still, six games, 847 total passing yards. Do the math on that. It's less than 150 yards per game. That's like Michael Penix in the first quarter of a game, right? <laughs> so uh, JJ is a big-time projection. The strengths are that he's got really, really good ball. Like his placement's excellent. Like he knows where to hit a guy in stride to create run-after-catch opportunities. Good athlete as well. Limitations are that you just haven't seen it nearly as much in big-game moments, Mina. And he's slender. Jaden Daniels and JJ McCarthy might weigh a pretty similar amount by the time we get to Indianapolis. Jaden certainly looks slimmer and might end up being a few pounds lighter, but JJ is not to be confused with Josh Allen or Cam Newton as far as stature goes. And then Michael Penix Jr., absolutely love watching him, has the most electric arm in all of college football. His deep ball accuracy was off the charts. His arm angles are incredible. The stuff that he can do, like manipulating his arm, is actually like I saw him in person at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. He was like a baseball pitcher. Like I didn't think the uh, human arm could sort of bend yeah. uh, the way that his did. Um, has more like a little bit of mobility, probably more than he gets uh, than he gets credit for. He's not going to kill you with his legs by any stretch. And he, I know that there's the narrative about how he performs against pressure, and it wasn't great against Michigan in the college football playoff. But I will say this: much better at eluding pressure and getting rid of the football to avoid negative plays. Then people realize, as a matter of fact, that he was one of the best quarterbacks in college football in terms of just like ending the play. A throwaway is a better comes thing out than quick a sack. too. Comes out really yeah. quick. Um, and you know, I don't know if this is quantifiable or not. I mean, I don't know if it matters in the eyes of NFL evaluators or not. But he had the it factor in Mobile. Like the guys were totally enamored mm-hmm. by being teammates with Michael Penix Jr. I don't know. Maybe he just like. Yeah. You play that much football, um, you deserve uh, the accolades that he received, and guys just sort of gravitated towards him. The biggest question mark with Penix, a couple of things here. Um, not as much suddenness to his game, right? It's a little bit more deliberate of a throwing motion. And then fairly or unfairly, Mina, this is going to be a question mark surrounding Michael Penix Jr. until next week at the Combine. Each of his first four seasons in college were all played at Indiana, and they all ended in injury. There's no IR in college football, but two ACL tears and two shoulder injuries. He has not been dinged up since that time, but as you know, each team's medical staff is going to weigh in and some may say our tolerance is great and we have no problem with his medicals. Others may say, hey, you know what, makes a little bit nervous and you might fear that if he were to tear his ACL once more, that might be it. Like Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL for the second time and grant that he's much older than Michael Penix Jr., but just an example of how you know, the body is built to last until it's not, right? So um, I have been told by people close to Michael that he has gotten great clearance and that he continues 
to hold up very, very strong. I have no reason to question them, but I'm also not the team doctor for every team from the Seattle Seahawks in the Pacific Northwest to Miami Dolphins in the Southeast. They may all see it just a little bit differently when you hear about athletes going and getting second or third opinions on injuries. It's because not every doctor sees things the same way. It's his injury history is real. It is serious. Go look it up. Multiple you feel you, you know, you touched on it. Multiple years ended. And by the way, the mental fortitude he's displayed in overcoming that is also one of the most impressive things about him. But it's he's a great, great that, kid. Yeah. That teams will regard that. I, I think you know, it's still early on for me. I don't have an order established yet. I think what I will say is I would probably be personally a little apprehensive of taking any of these guys in the first round. That's just my read on watching them in college. Um, yes. And like I said, I think probably a team will, or maybe just because of need and, and whatnot. But um, I think that I have enough questions about all three of their games to where I would be a little bit, uh, I would be worried about that. I also think we didn't talk about this with the first three. We were just like, oh, whatever team likes them. Yeah. I think the success of all three of these players will depend on heavily on where they land. That is my other you read on that. Yep. A guy like McCarthy, for example, who, um, as you mentioned, like, you know, didn't get asked to do a lot in Michigan. Um, I, I'm really trying not to make the Brock Purdy comparison because it feels like stereotypes, but yeah. you watch a guy like Brock Purdy in, in that Shanahan offense. And I'm like, yeah, I could see J.J. McCarthy having success in an offense Good. like that. Totally. Yes. But it would have to be the right offense. One last thing I want to add on this is that, and you have very smart listeners and viewers on this show, so I'm going to challenge them if they can. Every year there feels like this cutoff point where it's like quarterbacks taken beyond this guy, whoever this, whether it's the first, second, third, fourth quarterback, everybody from there on out is being moved up the board because they play quarterback, right? There are innumerable examples of quarterbacks who go up, whether it's the Jake Lockers, right? I mean, Christian Ponder, uh, that draft where there was like three of them, right? I mean, it was Gino, um, uh, EJ Manuel. Uh, we've seen guys get overdrafted because of a quarterback, right? Yeah. I would like to know if people can find a long list of examples of first round quarterbacks that were taken as quote unquote reaches that end up proving to be worth that reach. The history is certainly working against them. Now, we can't uh, eliminate outliers in life. They do certainly exist, but we're talking about probabilities and the history suggests that once you start to see guys rise up the board higher than where you have them on your big board, it incurs a significant risk. And uh, JJ McCarthy was not in my top 25, and he went 12th in my most recent, my first mock draft meeting. Like that to me, I mean, that, that, that gap, it was uncomfortable making that pick, but circumstantially, I felt like there was a real chance the Broncos must address quarterback in the draft because they're out of cards to play otherwise. People keep asking me, should the Seahawks take a quarterback? And I keep saying no, because if they were picking in the first top five, yeah, yeah, I would love for them to take one of those three guys. But my read right now on these three, this tier, the likelihood that they will be better than Geno Smith, I think is low. I Very really low. do. I, I, and like, At least I, right I, away, right? Yes, and everybody just loves potential and promise. And I'm like, yeah. okay, you got a quarterback who's already playing at a top 10 to 15 level, I believe, in the NFL, yeah. behind a suspect offensive line, by the way, at times. Yep. The likelihood that one of the three guys we mentioned is going to come in and improve upon that consistently, I think it's low. And and if it were later, maybe, but because it, it's a flyer. But yeah. when we're talking about teams taking them, like you said, it's because they don't have other options. 
That's no it. other options. Right? Yeah, just no. if, if you're a Raiders fan out there or a Broncos fan out there or a Vikings fan, if they lose Kirk Cousins, if you can yeah. provide me with a better alternative than reaching, I'm here for it, but it's really hard to find. Um, and you yeah. mentioned something that I think is pertinent. I want to give a shout out to our guy, Jordan Reed, a draft analyst at ESPN. does a great job who talked a little bit recently just about how like sometimes players and quarterbacks benefit from like maybe not the devil you don't know, but kind of like the shiny object syndrome of something you haven't seen the other side of yet. That kind of helps JJ, right? Like he hasn't had that many bad blemishes on his resume, but we also haven't seen that many like amazing yeah. moments. You're like, yeah, but like you see it in doses and like you see him spin that pill against Ohio State. And you're like, ah, he could do that more. You haven't seen that many critical errors, and it's kind of like eh. that's the contrast with Penix, who uh, some people have before uh, JJ. Michigan still, game, yeah. I mean, my God, or te- uh, Texas, Texas, like that. That that game was unbelievable. unbelievable. I was going through a brick wall, right? Like it was, yeah. and it wasn't just unbelievable. It was like everything you would want to see from yeah. a college quarterback in terms yeah, for of a the guy who couldn't made, dodge pressure, yeah, thro- uh, dodging pressure, stepping in the pocket, throwing over the middle of the field, which is a question with Penix because so yeah. much of that Washington offense was reliant on, you know, goal balls down the sideline and, and God, it should have been because of yeah. the players that they had. Um, but it's like, okay, well he has reached the highest high, but can he keep getting back there? And is the risk of too late versus Penick JJ who's a little bit of an unknown versus Bo who's maybe too much of a known honestly yeah. I, I I know he's not Auburn Bo Nix I still have trouble shaking that sometimes when I think totally. about him uh so it's it's going to be all of these guys have worthwhile criticisms uh and a projection factor yeah. so yeah, That's it's a you know it's such a fascinating point. You know the uh, those experienced guys that don't go in the first round end up being like pretty useful players. Brock Purdy obviously is an extreme; he's the last pick in the draft. We should never have that kind of expectation. But other examples include I mentioned Jacoby Brissett. Dak Prescott played a ton of football at Mississippi State yeah. and dribbled to the fourth round. Kirk Cousins, same thing, Michigan State in part because it was like, yeah, we kind of already reached the apex for these guys, and obviously okay. we didn't. In the yeah. case of them, um, so yeah, but Boza, Boza, the all three of those guys, Mina, are going to keep me up many nights until the draft <laughs> begins. Because uh, if you told me that that one of those guys goes uh, eighth overall because the Falcons have done nothing at quarterback, I'd say hey. I would not do that. I would not do I mean, that. Yeah, same, ah, same, I would not, do that. Uh, same, I would not yeah. do that in part because of my next question. So we got two more questions. Big okay, questions. Let's do it. Yep. Uh, so I looked at your. your so if you're uh, listening to this, you check out Field. Did, dropped his very first mock of the season. It was uh, very fun. Some really spicy picks, which I love. Um, yep. So you had five wide receivers going in the first round. You had, of course, Marvin Harris Jr. Harris Jr. as, and I think everybody's going to. This is he's a no-brainer, basically a perfect prospect. Yeah, I'll just it's hard yeah. To beat him. yeah. He's just perfect. So um, you got him, and then from there, let the debates begin. You had Malik Neighbors from LSU at six. Roma Dunze at seven, which is uh, spicy to Tennessee. Uh, Brian Thomas, neighbor's teammate at LSU at 28. And then uh, A.D. Mitchell at 32. So you didn't have Keen Coleman in the first round, right? Correct. Uh, Yep. Okay. I'm sure you would have him immediately not long after that. He was Uh, one of the – I had like four players that just missed the cut. He was one of those four. We can talk about him in a minute, but there's a big, big test coming up for him soon. Yeah. So my question for you is, do you think this could be – the greatest wide receiver draft in recent memory. Um, I So in 2020, uh, in the first two rounds, there were 13 wide receivers taken. This was um, 
it, it started, people were surprised when the uh, Raiders took Henry Ruggs at 12, yeah. uh, but because they took him over Jerry Judy, which was, I think that was, I remember people being surprised by that. Um, but then you also had CeeDee Lamb falling to 17, yeah. Jalen Rager, Just Jefferson at 22, the infamous Just Rager before Jefferson, Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk at 25, yeah. T. Higgins in the second round, Pittman wow. in the second round. That was an insane draft. So that, that yeah. I, recent history of an insane wide receiver draft. How do you feel just as a group that this group of wide receivers stacks up? It's always important to remember that our pre-draft expectations are measured against that pre-draft expectation as well, right? So like, you know, you want to be process oriented when you're talking about how this class stacks up because outcome sort of uh, outcome generated thinking can be a little bit of a dangerous game, right? These guys could all bust, right? Or they could all become first ballot Hall of Famers in 10 years. And obviously a take like this would look very smart, but going into the draft feels like the strongest draft class uh, amongst wide receivers that I can recall at least a half decade. I'll rely on Mel Kuyper, who's been doing, literally created this industry 46 years ago. He feels like it's one of the best he's seen in a long, long, long time. And that creates a fundamental question, maybe issue, challenge in this draft. If you're a team that really believe in the strength of this class, does that mean that you can afford to bypass some of these top-tier prospects yeah. at the top? Because you say to yourself, all right, I can get an elite player at eight wide receiver. I could also get a notch below elite at 38. Mitchell. Yeah. Savior like, Leggett. How, like there's yeah, so many how, good players. Yeah. So many good players. Like it actually, like it, it pained me to keep Xavier Leggett, Keon Coleman, Lad McConkey, Tez Walker, like didn't crack the first round. Roman Meanwhile, Wilson. those guys. Yeah, yeah. If I were to do just my top 32 players or just, and again, I'm not talking about like I'm, I am, I am, Moving on from positional value, right? Quarterbacks are going to go higher because of the positional value. But like the top 32 players probably has more than five or six wide receivers, right? Um, maybe a better way to look at it is like my top 40 or 50 players might include like 10 wide receivers. So that's the challenge that teams are facing is uh, if, if you are thinking about maybe it's like the middle of the first round, because like at the beginning of the first round, if it's such an elite prospect, you're not going to pass on elite neighbors, Roman Dunze, right? Middle of the first round, though, you're like, okay, so we could get a really good tackle or a really good receiver. Meanwhile, pick 45, the tackle class seems to drop off, but the wide receiver class is still pretty solid. So I think that middle of the round is going to be where it's interesting. If you notice, there was a big gap in mine. After the third receiver, Roman Dunze at seven, 21 picks before Brian yeah. Thomas Jr. went off the board. So That's a lot there. lower yeah, than I had Brian Thomas ranked in my overall prospect rankings. If you told me he went like 13th, I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Makes sense. Like he's that good that you could just, I guess that would be the Raiders. So probably unlikely. But still, the point is that if a team took him in that range, I would say, yeah, he's that good. He's worthwhile. It's a great point. And it's why I love this draft for a team like the Kansas City Chiefs that need a receiver and are obviously picking near the end. I know, but like it could not be better for them because they're not—they're obviously not going to get one of the big three. But oh my god, at thirty-two, there's still going to be so many amazing players. Yeah, and they get to choose defensive tackle or something, right? I know, of course, right? Uh, But what they can do though is they can also choose between the profile they want, right? So like, Ad Mitchell is probably ready. uh, I love him to to contribute, right? He's six foot four hundred ninety-six pounds. Uh, he's played five games in the college football playoffs over the past three years because he was at Georgia and then transferred to Texas. Scored a touchdown in all of them. I don't know if big game medal matters or not in the eyes of evaluators, but you know, caught my attention, right? Like when the stakes have been high, he's performed. The Chiefs are, you know, a walking AFC championship, if not Super Bowl ticket, every single year. Or do you say to yourself, listen, 
We need a guy who maybe his ceiling isn't as high as A.D. Mitchell's, but he's ready to play tomorrow and play a lot. And like Lad McConkey, who thinks gonna fly at the combine, could run the you know four three seven. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just ridiculous route runner, awesome after the catch. But Lad lined up next to AD is it's like a power forward versus a shooting guard. So it is a lot of basketball references for me today. Uh, so that yeah. that the beauty of the Chiefs at thirty two is that you oh, know the, the margin for error, right? I mean, the Chiefs' first round pick last year was basically a healthy scratch for like eighty percent of the season. Or a guy like Jalen Bulk, who's just so freaking reliable. Most like, underrated receiver in the entire class. I'll say it now. The hands are ridiculous. Like yep. Yeah. I, I literally every single one of these guys I like. Like I like the top yeah, I maybe like ten. I, I'm like, yeah, oh. he'll be good NFL player. He'll be good NFL. I've got player. my board right here, Rena. If you can see my board right now, which is done positionally on this big spreadsheet, the number of receivers that I have in the first three rounds is like twice as many as any other position. I'm sitting here looking at the fourth round receivers, and I'm like, this is disgusting that I'm being I'm so disrespectful you, to these kids. At least two of these second rounders are going to be freaking awesome NFL yep. players, similar to totally. 2020 when you had Higgins and Pittman. That's kind of the comp. The only thing I'll say about the wide receiver class, and I and I view it the same as you, where I do, there's kind of like the big three, uh, and then we'll see. Uh, one thing that I think is worth noting too, just as you kind of like step back and look at the class as a whole. So last year, um, you know, a bunch of wide receivers ended up going in the first round anyways, kind of near the yep. end of the first round in a clump. Um, and like, you know, you had guys like Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, uh, very productive. Um, yeah. I think Jackson Smith and Jigma suffered a little bit in Seattle because of the, you know, target, uh, share between behind Metcalf and Lockett, but, um, Boba. and Boba. <laughs> Inside Joe. Those guys are small. Um, yeah. and, and this was the thing we talked about at the time. We were like, eh, is Addison big enough? He's kind of thin. Flowers, obviously yeah. not big at all. This class, these are X receivers. Yeah. Two of like there are so the many have arrived. Even like like Odunze is probably more of a classic Z, but he's gigantic, man. Like yeah. all of these receivers are huge. Yeah. And I feel cool. like that's what really strikes me field is like I feel like over the last few years we have been talking about wow, you don't have to be that big to have success in the NFL. We've seen a lot of these little guys, I mean, shoot, tanked out last year, right? Like have success yeah. because of um, modern NFL offenses, the play cards are so good at slot receivers, getting them involved, but also scheming guys open when they're not that big and they can't necessarily beat press, you know, right away in the NFL. Not a problem in this class, man. If you need a number Ooh. one wide receiver, this is the draft for you. It's funny. Uh, Xavier Leggett, South Carolina wide receiver that you just mentioned a few moments ago, was measured the senior bowl and he was six foot one flat called 6010 in, uh, in scouting parlance. Everybody was like, damn, is he really gets only 6'1? And I was like, you guys are missing the trees of the forest. He's 6'1, 230. He was 230 pounds. He's going to run in the four fours in, uh, in Indianapolis, like at the combine. Like, I get it. He's not 6'5, but 6'1, 230, probably runs a 4'4'5. Four, four, like, that's a machine. That's the kind of stuff, like, that's Ole Miss wide receiver type of stuff, right? Like, that. that's like ridiculous. That That's like, I, I, that's like a, I don't know, like uh, like Bobby Brown, Amon Ra's, uh, same Bobby Saint Brown, Saint Brown, yeah, what's, what's Saint the, Brown, what's yeah, Amon yeah, because Equinami is Saint Brown, Amon Ra Saint Brown, yeah, yeah, it's definitely Saint Brown, but is, is his name Bobby? I feel like it is. Uh, I, I apologize. You know what? I really the bodybuilder, yeah, the body. He could squish me like a grape. Um, but anyways, like he might be proud of this class. These guys are all massive. So anyways, um, that that is like a major X factor in this class. Is that if you want size, like. 
Tez Walker, Xavier Leggett. I know I mentioned uh, Lab McConkey. He's not one of them, but there are so many guys. Brian Thomas. Into, oh my God. Brian Thomas is freaky big. You've got guys that go further down into the process, like Come Marcus Roseby Jackson from, yeah. You've got, yeah. I mean, Javon Baker, who played at Alabama, transferred to UCF. He's yeah. huge. Brendan Rice, the son of Jerry Rice, is freaking massive. Did not realize how big he was until I was sitting next or standing next to him down in in, in, in at, at the Super Bowl Mobile. Like he's like he feels like he's six five. He's not actually six five, but like there is size everywhere in this wide receiver class. It's going way beyond just the first round too. It's this. I I think we will look back on this class and marvel at it. So it's way too oh, yeah. early projection. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, last question for you uh, about the draft. This is just, I think this is my final kind of big question. So as we've discussed, this is a very good quarterback class. It's a very good wide receiver class. We haven't even acknowledged the fact this is an incredible offensive tackle class, which is going to be uh, less, uh, you know, sexy, (laughs) but very, very, like, how many offensive tackles did you have in your first round? I believe I had nine total offensive linemen. It's it's not an elite defensive draft. And so my question for you is, is there a player that you look at as like a true blue chipper, like in this class I've seen when I've, I've looked at mocks, it seems like everyone's kind of all over the board. Now the order that the defensive players again, I think that'll probably settle, but, to your eye, is there someone that you think is special? Yeah, I think sometimes in scouting, we can overthink this stuff. Uh, there's only one thing that could, re- could prevent me from feeling unbelievable. Leatu Latu, the pass rusher from UCLA. Oh, um, you may, of course, recall him because he began his college career at Washington. Uh, he played for Jimmy Lake when he was the head coach there. After two seasons at uh, UW, he was forced to medically retire because of a neck issue. That retirement was brief. He ended up enrolling at UCLA. He ended up resuming his football career, and he's been the best pass rusher in college football the past two seasons. He was unbelievable this past year. Second best pressure rate in all of FBS. 13 sacks this past season. Uh, refined, ready to go. Like if if we had done this podcast two weeks ago as opposed to now, and you told me that he was uh, assigned to the Chiefs or the 49ers, I would say he'll probably start this game on Sunday even without practice. That's how ready made he is, Mina. But medical question mark. If the NFL finds, and this is not the perfect comparison, but Jalen Phillips dropped to 18th a few Mm. years ago coming out of Miami after he also was medically retired while playing at UCLA. The Dolphins clearly feel great about Jalen Phillips. He's become one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. His Achilles injury this year was just bad luck. It wasn't tied to what he went through in the pre-draft process. Leatu Latu is an absolute star. Uh, He's not going to be an off-the-charts tester at the Combine, but – 
I'm like, the body angles he can create. He's slippery. He gives guys nightmares. And and I'm talking about like good offensive tackles he played against this past year in the Pac-12. I bet on him. I would bet on him to win consistently at the NFL level, assuming that neck is not an issue. And I'm operating under the presumption for right now that it is not an issue. I think him versus Dallas Turner from Alabama is going to be a really fascinating debate because it's going to be a sort of – explosiveness, athleticism versus pass rush refinement debate yeah. kind of, which yeah. isn't to say, I don't, I actually don't think Turner's like a, like a true, like going to like break the records at a combine or anything like that. But I do think that'll be the, the ding on, um, on Latu is like, okay, like, you know, he's not gigantic. There's the length there, yeah. the weight explosion, turn on the tape, man. He's a maniac. Like yeah. his, his hands are a thing of beauty. Um, They're unbelievable. Every move in his yeah. arsenal. So I think that's going to be a really fascinating one. I think, though, it is compared to some of the prospects in recent drafts, I don't think he'll be described as like can't miss because of that. Like, you know, where you've had even like Anderson Jr. to some degree, it's like, okay, well, he has both the uh, he, he the, the production and yeah. the athleticism. I think with Latu, there'll be a little bit, and the medicals will be a big factor. I really like him, though. I think I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. Um, yeah. He's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm just thinking about, like, I think teams themselves, like, if anybody in the class has a chance to graduate and become a Bosa, a Miles, a TJ Watt, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, Micah Parsons. I know those are like the extremes, right? But like yeah. the kind of guy that can generate 15 sacks a season when he hits his top outcome, it will be Dallas Turner. If you're looking for like that next tier of guys, like um, I'm trying to think of like perfect examples, like Trey Hendrickson, Matt Judon, like guys that can consistently churn out like nine to 13 sacks a year. Like that might be Leatu Latu. And by the way, like, it's a pretty I'd, freaking I'll, good I'll outcome. I'll take those eggs. I'll take those eggs. I take that. Yeah, I just and you know, great kid. Like, um, yeah, you know, I, I really respected a handful of guys that made it to the Senior Bowl this past year who had nothing to prove. Really, Michael Penix Jr., Leatu Latu, Bo Nix, guys who are going to be first round picks, uh, or at least have a real chance of it. I should say. In the in the case of Latu, I think it's a lock with the quarterbacks we'll see. But like, that's an event that like that's where th- you know fourth round guys uh, can really prove they can become like third round guys. I, I, that that's that's the vision at least in some people yeah. uh, maybe on the player representation side my answer would be i don't care how good you are i'd freaking be there it's a showcase to go and prove that you're the very best if i don't care if i'm the uh, first pick in the draft i'd be in mobile i wouldn't listen be. if bowers drops to seattle i loved your pick of bowers for the seahawks yeah. if he doesn't though uh speaking of the senior bowl every clip of that center that made it my way uh I, I, I was just sending them to my Seahawks chat over and yeah. over and over because yeah. that dude was wrecking fools in the senior bowl and it was not on my radar at all. So the first and only Remington winner from the Pac-12, I, that was surprised me. He was, uh, I think, yeah. like maybe like the fifth unanimous All-American in Oregon history as well. So uh, he made himself a ton of money this year and great example, Mina. Like he's a first round pick through and through. He goes to Alabama, he goes to the senior bowl and everybody's like, crap, like. We thought we might have got him at like 25. Like he might not make it to 15 now, right? Like, or maybe 20. Like he's that solid of a prospect. So uh, JPJ got me fired up. Yeah. 17 would be the perfect range for him, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all 16, right. Well, 
are we 16 or 17? I can't remember. Yeah, 16, um, yeah. 16, okay, 17 16 Jacksonville. Yeah. 16. Wow. Bowers is, that's all you and I could do, honestly, 45 minutes on Brock Bowers and where he should be drafted and why. And yeah. speaking of a can't miss prospect at a position that is really interesting, we, we will do it because uh, Field will be covering the draft uh, nonstop between now and the end of April. You guys should check out First Draft. You will, of course, be on NFL Live talking about the draft, too, and hopefully uh, back on the Media Kind of Show. Thank you so much for joining me today, Field. Thanks for having me, Mina. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.